Hello, LifeBridge family and friends. Hope all of you are doing well today. Once again, we are grateful that you are allowing us to be part of your life. Uh, we appreciate the opportunity to minister to you, and we pray that the teachings that you watch, that you listen to, uh, are beneficial to your life. Uh, we know it's nothing that, that we say, that I say, uh, the power surely is found in the Word of God, and we believe that. We believe that as you listen to this, as you listen to the Word of God, that it's going to change your life. Um, as a matter of fact, just this week I was reading in Isaiah where he told the prophet that when my words leave my mouth, they're not going to return empty. They're going to do some work. And so we pray that as you participate in these teachings, that that is what's taking place. We know that the power is found in the Word of God. I read a story recently about a couple. Uh, they were in their 30s when they got married. Uh, and within the first year, uh, they're now uh, pregnant and expecting their first child. And prior to getting married, both man and woman came into the relationship uh, and, and they, they had a, a pretty good grasp on their finances. Their finances were pretty well uh, in order, so to speak. They each had a, a checking account that was balanced. They each had a savings account with a, a good amount of money in it. Uh, one of them even had a money market account uh, that they were doing some things with as well. When they got married, both felt the need to keep their existing accounts, but then open up a separate joint checking account and a separate joint savings account. So they opened uh, a savings account uh, for their less than one-year-old, and then they also opened up another account for some home remodeling that they wanted to do in the house that they were living in. Now, if you are keeping track, that is nine accounts to manage for a family of three. Well, as life is moving on, uh, there seems to be uh, one tension that keeps reoccurring over and over again. Month after month, there's one tension that keeps, uh, keeps rearing its ugly head, and that is finances. They were constantly arguing over money and where the money was going, and, and, and now it got to the point that their marriage is on the rocks. They've argued over this so long uh, that their marriage is on the rocks, but they want to fight for the relationship, so they seek counseling. And here's the thing that their marriage counselor revealed to them. Your issue isn't a lack of money. Your issue isn't uh, spending too much money. Your issue is that your finances are way more complicated than they need to be. Like, what if you simplified the number of accounts and then you work towards some common goals with the use of a budget? And so this counselor referred them to a financial coach. This financial coach worked with them was simplifying the number of accounts that they had to actually look at and then help them with a budget that gave them the opportunity to work so, towards some goals. And as they simplified their finances and started working toward the same goal, they realized that their arguing ceased. 
You know, I hear this story and I couldn't help but think about the number of areas in life where we complicate something and it leads to tension or conflict, right? Like you ever get behind the wrong person at Subway? There's all these options. It's just a sandwich. You're ordering a sandwich, not a Tesla, right? Now, I was informed uh, last night that the exterior illumination on my house this Christmas season is going to happen. It's that simple. The lights are going to go up. How they get there uh, can really and truly become a complicated process. I can argue, I can gripe, I can procrastinate, I can do all of those things, but at the end of the day, they are going to go up. My wife has informed me of this. So why do we in life complicate such simple tasks? sometimes, or simple understandings. Well, I believe that in some Christian circles, this is true with our topic for today. We take something that is super important to our very existence on this earth, to our salvation. We take something that is super important. It's a super, con super simple concept, but we complicate it within Christian circles. So if you've been following along with us in our Core 52 journey, today we tackle this topic of grace. This is certainly one of these topics that oftentimes gets made to be way more complicated than it has to be. It is super important, but the concept of grace is super simple. But somehow, we complicate it. And I get it. Part of our... Um, complication happens because of our sin nature that is within us. We can't fully grasp and understand the why behind grace. Our core verse this week is one of the go-tos when it comes to understanding grace, certainly as it is equated to salvation. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians, the second chapter. We're going to read uh, verses 8, 9, and 10. <clears throat> God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we could do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, if you have your Bibles, if you still have them with you, uh, jump over to John Chapter 1, verse 16. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. So today, as we dive into this, we kind of want to talk and hopefully understand this concept of, of grace. The grace that we have received from Jesus and what role does it play with me actually being saved? So let's start there. What is grace? Grace, simply, it's undeserved favor. That's what it is. It, it is undeserved favor. God's grace that he shows on us, God's grace is what he does because he is gracious. Every action of God towards us involves his grace, his creation his conviction of the sinner, his, his providence, his gift of salvation, his 
equipping of the saints. Heaven that is waiting on us, our reward. All of this is due to God's grace. And because of our sinful nature, we don't deserve any of it. The blessings in this life, the gift of salvation, the spiritual gifts that you possess are all because of God's grace. The job that you have, the car you drive, the device that you're watching this, listening to this on, it is all possible through the means of God's grace. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve any of it. But yet, God makes it available to all of us. And that is why the song Amazing Grace, you know it, is the all-time number one Christian song. Because God's undeserved favor in our lives is everything. John Newton, he's the author of the song, recognized this in his own life. And he penned these famous words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind but now I see. If you want to study grace further beyond today, I encourage you to read uh, uh, the works of, of John Penn and uh, others who have uh, talked about John Penn and just get his life story and you will see how grace clearly impacted his life. God's grace, though, is available to all, believer and unbeliever alike. Jesus tells us, God allows the sun and the rain to be of benefit to the just and the unjust, to the believer and the unbeliever. God's grace allows for blessing to be received by those who don't even believe in him. God's grace is extended to all. But when it comes to salvation, we are saved by grace through faith. And it is God's greatest desire that all men be saved. Let me say that again. When it comes to salvation, we are saved by grace through faith. Our faith in him. And it is God's greatest desire that all men come to a saving relationship with him. The grace that saves is readily available. Salvation happens when we believe. But here's the cool thing about God. Our very faith happens because of his grace. That's right. Our very faith in him happens because of his grace. Paul wrote in Galatians uh, chapter 1, But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. Paul says that I only came to a relationship. I only developed faith because of the marvelous grace extended to him. Uh, Charles Spurgeon has a great book on grace called All of Grace. I, I, I highly encourage you to take some time and read this book. And he says this, remember this, or you may fall into error by fixing your minds 
so much upon the faith, which is the channel of salvation, that you will forget the grace, which is the fountain and source even of faith itself. Faith is the work of God's grace in us. No man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. And he's quoting 1 Corinthians 12 there. No man can come unto me, said Jesus, except the Father which hath sent me draw, draw him. That's John 6, 44. So that faith which is coming to Christ is the result of divine drawing. And then Spurgeon says this, grace is is the first and last moving cause of salvation and faith. Essential as it is, is only an important part of the machinery which grace employs. And I hope this makes sense to you. My ability to believe is because of the grace that God extends to you and I. Now, that's the role that grace plays in salvation. It's everything. Without God's grace, we're not saved. Without God's grace, we don't even have the ability to have faith in him. So grace is everything. But the rest of this passage in Ephesians has some other critical instruction for our lives that we can't overlook because the result of grace leads to something. Let's read that again. Ephesians 2, verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the things he planned for us long ago. You have faith and you accept the gift of salvation that God has given, and it has nothing to do with the good things that you have done in your life. Nothing. It's a free gift from God. In no way can you earn or work your way into salvation. It doesn't matter if you grow up in a gang and you have all types of sinister crimes part of your life. God's grace is extended to you just as it is extended to the, to the young man who grew up in a, in a Christian family going to church and Sunday school his whole life. You cannot work your way into salvation. You do not have to be good enough to earn salvation. It is a free gift to God from God. But with that said, Paul, like Jesus, wastes no time in adding a responsibility that comes with this free gift. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Paul, in one breath, writes the words that has nothing to do with the works that you do. And in the very next breath, he talks about because of those, because of it being a free gift from God, you're created to work. You are his masterpiece. He's created you new for works. As we accept the free gift of salvation, we must understand that God created all of us to be transformed into the likeness of his son so that we can do good works that have been planned for us. Our works have absolutely nothing to do with gaining salvation, but they have everything to do with the result of being saved. We are created for good works. And if you read our essay this past week, 
Mark Moore says, what we accomplish for Christ is a byproduct of our salvation, not the foundation of it. As a result of our salvation, our lives should reflect the good works that we are created to carry out. So what are these good works? What are the good works that have pl been planned for us long ago? Grace is not merely our service to other people. It's the very character of our lives that inevitably results in gracious acts towards one another. Let me say that again. Grace is not merely our service to others. It's the very character of our lives that inevitably results in gracious acts towards other people's. Our very lives, church, are the good works that he planned for us. In all we do, you wake up and you go to your earthly job today or tomorrow. You participate in your kids' activities at school and clubs and organizations involved with that. What you do in retirement from the jobs that you've worked hard. Even our speech, these are all part of the good works planned for us long ago. The good works he planned long ago for us are not just the single moments of service we give when we give of ourselves. They're not. When you volunteer to serve on one of our ministry teams at church, or you volunteer to serve in the nursery or to teach life kids, or you push buttons on our keyboard as I'm recording this, or, or you cut grass, those in themselves are not the good works that Paul is referencing here. They are certainly included in who God created us to be as we give of self. But the single moments where we take some time out of our busy schedule or we give a little bit more money because we're feeling generous, those moments in themselves are not the good works, but they are included in the good works. The good things that he planned for us long ago far exceeds momentary acts of service and momentary acts of generosity. Our very lives and how we live in the day-to-day -day is what Paul is talking about. We can only achieve these good works as we become more and more like Jesus. That's why God saved us. And the transformation, he says it right there, he created us anew in Christ Jesus for works planned long ago. We can only achieve these good works as we become more and more like Jesus. My favorite author is Dallas Willard. He has a great quote for us. My central claim is that we become like Christ by doing one thing, by following him in the overall style of life he chose for himself. If we have faith in Christ, we must believe that he knew how to live. We can, through faith and grace, become like Christ, by practicing the types of activities he engaged in. By arranging our whole lives around the activities he himself practiced in order to remain constantly 
at home in the fellowship of the Father. Let me read that last part again. We can, through faith and grace, become like Christ by practicing the types of activities he engaged in, by arranging our whole lives around the activities he himself practiced in order to remain constantly at home in the fellowship of the Father. Romans 8, 29 says that for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Church, it's everywhere. It's in the very DNA of who you are and who I am. We're created to be like them. We're created in the very image of God. And God has saved us. He chose us. He knew his people in advance and he chose us to become like him. We become like Jesus. And this is what Dallas Willard was saying. We become like Jesus when we do the things he did the way he did it. Church, you are his masterpiece, created anew to be like Jesus for good things that he planned in your life long ago. I told you, grace, it's that simple. I pray that you live out this passage as you become like him. Lord, thank you for your grace. May we demonstrate it in all areas of our life. Amen.